Welcome to the Steve and Stone Show, powered by two dudes trying to revive and relive their college podcast. I think America is the land of second chances, except for when it comes to this dude, Mr. Jabba the Hutt, you fat, slobberly, no good, lazy. Oh, come on, that's yeah, a little strong. And listen. With your host, Newport Goals announcer, and a guy that doesn't believe you can eat mac and cheese with a spoon, Stephen Hutt. Five, eight little mousy boys that live in the wall and crawl around for cheese. <laughs> okay, we get it. Alongside award-winning podcaster and two-time Nebraska walk-on trial participant, Colton Stone. How he takes off the shirt. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Being everything from college football to baseball to creating dumb lists purely for debate. Totally stupid. Well, Doug and I love stupid. Tune in every week wherever you listen to podcasts and enjoy. Now, there's a difference between having fun and being a jackass. Welcome into the Stephen Stone Show. I'm Stephen Huff alongside Colton Stone, and we have a special guest today. He is an ESPN insider, the college football guru, and the creator of the most accurate magazine over the last 22 years, Phil Steele. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Hey, a real pleasure. How the heck are you guys today? <laughs> Never been better right now. Yeah, we're getting yeah. we're getting through it. It's a weird time, so. <laughs> um, for Phil, for different. you, yeah, definitely different this year. I mean, it's a tough, unusual year with COVID. Um, obviously, I mean, this is uh, the 26th edition of your uh, magazine. What's it been like with this season and this off season? Um, I bet a little unusual. How have you dealt with it and kind of navigated through it all? Yeah, it definitely was different. And the magazine is usually a a six-month process. We start the Sunday after Thanksgiving and do the first write-through for every team. We read through every article that was written about the team from the past year, get a real good feel for each position, and and do that first write-through. Then the second write-through happens pre-spring, where we get all the freshmen incorporated into it, weed out the transfers, players left early for the draft, and go ahead and rewrite through the team. So that was already done for the magazine. We had about four months' worth of work involved in it. And then came the shutdown. And uh, when Ohio shut down, my staff couldn't even come to work. I was just coming to work in an empty office every day. And so at that point, I'm wondering, yeah, are we even going to put out a magazine this year? So I decided to do very limited distribution at that point. But once the staff was able to return, they came back with a vengeance and started talking to the coaches. Talked to about 110 of the coaches out there this year out of the 130. And it got fired up because the coaches are all pretty much uh, saying, hey, no spring practice, no big deal. We'll be ready to play. Put the ball on the field. I'll have the team ready. So I was, I was fired up at that point. And uh, the, so the the main change was in that respect, we normally send the final page to the press the end of May. This year, the final page went to the press July 8th, so just a few weeks ago. And the second main change is normally we're everywhere. I usually print about 200,000 of these things, and they're in every store everywhere. But this year, it's very limited distribution. We only print about 50,000, and they're in Barnes & Noble, Books A Million exclusively, Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, and no other locations this year. So those would be the two major changes. Then after that, of course, around that time that it went to a published conferences started canceling non-conference games how's that affected you guys 
hasn't affected me at all because of the fact that when I do my conference forecasts, I don't do them based on overall record. I do them based on conference record. So if the Big Ten plays a conference-only schedule, I'm good with that. I predicted the teams to finish in the order they did based on how they do in conference play. So that's how we've been doing it in the magazine. I think since about the fourth year of the magazine, we started doing it based on conference record as opposed to overall record. So it really doesn't affect me at all. Bill, looking at kind of the way that everything is being set up, you know, obviously we're we're talking about, you know, maybe conference only. Uh, we don't know how the playoff might look, so on and so forth. Um, I mean, what at like today? What was what is your feeling about the percent chance that that this season gets played in full? Uh, as far as conference play goes, I feel pretty good about it. I think uh, when it all rolls around a few months from now, when the season's kicking off you know, late September, then uh, I think we'll be ready to play and uh, and play the conference schedule. So I'm still bullish on it. I'm I'm very optimistic. Well, that's good to hear. Looking at the uh, Big Ten specifically and focusing on, on our local team, Nebraska, last year you predicted the Nebraska to be the <laughs> most improved team in the nation. You usually nail this prediction. Uh, obviously, the Huskers struggled, and I'm sure they left a bitter taste in your mouth. What do you think of them heading into this season, though? You hit it right on the head. Bitter. I mean, I, I don't miss on that most improved list. And, uh, you know, they looked at what the Huskers had coming back last year, and you looked at the schedule that they had, and you had to be optimistic. And I think one of the key factors was Adrian Martinez not being 100% healthy. Adrian Martinez was not the same Adrian Martinez on the field as he was the previous year. There's a couple of close losses. Losing Wondell Robinson for a few weeks didn't help. Uh, not getting a running back established. There's a, a bunch of factors brought in and uh, very disappointing. So, uh, yeah, I have to admit I'm a little gun-shy when it comes to Nebraska this year. Uh, maybe the reason I picked them where I did in the Big Ten West. But 10 starters coming back on offense, if you want to be optimistic, hey, if Martinez returns to form and shows the improvement you would expect out of a junior quarterback, then they could be pretty good at that position. Dedrick Mills is a running back that last year, you know, he was coming from a, a JUCO, and he was also working in the Georgia Tech offense. So I hadn't really worked in this type of offense before. It took him about a half year to get up to speed, but I really liked what I saw to Dedrick Mills down the stretch. And they've got a couple of good redshirt freshmen behind him in Johnson and Tompkins. The receiving core loses uh, J.D. Spielman, but Wandale Robinson's dynamic, and if he gets his hands on the ball, he could go all the way. And I like Omar Manning coming in. He could be, uh, you know, he's a big guy. He's 6'4", 225, and probably looks different than a lot of the other receivers. So they, they could have the potential for a pretty good receiving core, especially with tight end Jack Stoll there. And then the offensive line, I mean, the offensive line returns intact for the first time in forever. That there's plenty of potential on Nebraska offense. Now, we've been talking potential black shirt defense for a long time. They haven't played like the black shirt defense for quite some time. Uh, only five starters are coming back. To me, the biggest question on the team, probably up front where the defensive line uh, is is practically brand new this year. Yeah, how quickly they come along could be the key to the defense. And the defense overall may be the key to how good a season it is for Nebraska. But like I said, guys, I, I was a little gun-shy this year after the way ne Nebraska disappointed me last year. Well, yeah, and you look at Nebraska last year, like you said, the schedule a little bit more favorable. And going into this year, you have them ranked as, as one of the toughest schedules. And, um, I mean, uh, Stephen and I were talking about it a little bit. I don't think their strength of schedule necessarily changes with, with the non-con uh, changes. Um, but do you still see Nebraska maybe having one of the tougher, if not the toughest schedule in the Big Ten? 
Yeah, look at the final five games of the season. At Ohio State, home to Penn State, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, and home to Minnesota. <laughs> uh, those are the five, probably arguably the five best teams in the Big Ten, and they're all in back-to-back-to-back-to-back weeks. Uh, getting Drawing Rutgers from the east is a good thing, but Illinois is a much-improved team. I think the west overall, guys, is a much-improved league. You look at three teams, uh, Purdue. Uh, going over the team with Coach Brom last year, uh, we had determined the, the top four players on the team. Well, he lost the top four players on the team. Uh, you know, the quarterback, Sindelar, uh, went down. Their All-American wide receiver, Rondale Moore, went down. Lorenzo Neal, their defensive tackle, out for the year. And then even Marcus Bailey lost after two starts. Those four were the top four players on the team, and they were all gone two weeks into the season, and Purdue struggled. Purdue's got 17 returning starters this year. They figured it would be a vastly improved team, especially getting Rondale Moore back to team with a guy like David Bell and uh, getting better quarterback play. Then you take a look at a team like Northwestern. They are my number two most improved team in the country this year. I think when you look at the Wildcats, their problem last year was they couldn't move the ball. Then they got poor quarterback play. Well, Peyton Ramsey comes over from Indiana. He's going to turn over that quarterback play and the rest of the talents there. This uh, veteran Northwestern team that jumps way up on my experience chart all the way to number five in the country. 19 returning starters back this year. And prior to last year, Pat Fitzgerald had been 15-1 and in Big Ten play. I don't think he forgot how to win Big Ten games. They're going to be stronger. And talking to Lovey Smith at Illinois, uh, Lovey feels that this is by far his best team. And look what they did last year. Got to a bowl game. Nobody expected them to get to a bowl game, including myself last year. And he feels they can finally compete. So I think the West is a much improved division. And then drawing the top two teams out of the East in Ohio State, Penn State, make it even more difficult. Well, taking a look at the, the West specifically, um, you know, that the three people that were battling at the top last year was Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Do you see it kind of being a similar race between those three at the top of the West this year? Yeah, and I would tuck Northwestern into that mix as well. I think Northwestern, which, believe it or not, was in the Big Ten title game two years ago. A lot of folks forget that because of their 3-9 and season last year. I think they will be improved. But, yeah, when you look at Wisconsin, the biggest question mark is who's going to replace Jonathan Taylor. And normally they've got a running back waiting in the wings. Now you're sort of wondering who their running back is. Is it the true freshman, Jalen Berger? Is it Nakia Watson? I don't know. But the offensive line is solid. They've got a veteran quarterback. The defense loses two supreme pass rush guys. Chris Orr and Zach Bond, I thought they made that defense last year. So they do have three key losses in Taylor, Orr, and Bond. But, hey, I think everybody discounted Wisconsin last year. They were picked third in the Big Ten West. Then they just came out and dominated early on. Iowa's biggest problem might be the schedule. They have to play Ohio State and Michigan – or, excuse me, Ohio State and Penn State back-to-back weeks – uh, and both uh, both on the road and both off a of bye. So that's pretty tough right there. They do get to host Wisconsin and Nebraska down the stretch. And keep in mind, they only lost three games last year, and those losses were by seven, five, and two points. Coach Ferentz likes what they have at quarterback and Spencer Patras and Alex Padilla. Uh, the receiving court might be one of his better units, especially a wide receiver with Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith. The offensive line's always good. Alaric Jackson is one of the top left tackles in the game. Tyler Lindebaum, one of the top centers. And the defense is even more experienced than last year. So I think Iowa's going to be a threat. And then with Minnesota, 
how do you stop these guys on offense? I mean, Tanner Morgan had a great year last year. Uh, they're deep in the running back core. The, the receivers return Rashad Bateman and Chris Hoffman Bell. That offensive line averages about 340 pounds, 6'6", 340 across the board. So they're going to be uh, one of the top teams. I think those four are your prime contenders probably in the West, but uh, that's a heck of a division, much improved division. Bill, before we move to the east side of, of the conference, we wanted to touch on Illinois, a, a team that Stephen and I, uh, we tend to joke about and go back and forth, but, you know, Lovey Smith, obviously that, that name brings uh, a lot to the table. How, is, how has his time at Illinois changed the expectations for the Illini? And, and maybe what's their ceiling? Obviously they made a bowl game last year, but, I mean, how, how much further can they go up that rung? Well, Coach Smith feels they're going to contend in the West, so we'll see what happens there. Like I said, I doubted them last year. I had them pegged last and didn't really think they would come back and, and do what they did. Uh, you know, he's done a great job bringing in transfers, and he's hit a home run on almost every single one. Like quarterback Brandon Peters is a nice place to start. A matter baby, a receiver is another nice piece to have. They're deep in the backfield. He feels very good about that. And I think the biggest place you're going to see improvement for Illinois this year is along the offensive line. Uh, last year, they only averaged 3.8 yards per carry and gave up 39 sacks. But going over the offensive line with Coach Smith, he feels that center Doug Kramer, left guard Kendrick Green, right tackle Alex Palsowitz, and left tackle uh, Verdrian Lowe are all guys that have NFL potential. And he feels the offensive line is going to be a strength this year. Good portion of the defense back. They've got an outstanding cover corner in Nate Hobbs. And uh, I probably felt better about the team after talking to uh, Coach Smith than I did heading into the conversation. But he's highly confident what's going to happen this year with Illinois. So it was tough picking them last in the Big Ten West. But as mentioned, the West is an extremely good division. Taking a look at the other side of the Big Ten, it seems to be a two-horse race for the top of the East. And it seems to be between Ohio State and Penn State. Is, is that how you kind of feel it mapping out? Yeah, I, I think when you take a look at these two teams, talent-wise, they clearly are the best. And Ohio State uh, has got to be the favorite for the, the conference. You know, I had questions about Ohio State last year. Uh, the previous year, in 2018, they had allowed 403 yards per game. They allowed 4.5 yards per carry. They had a lot of close calls. They barely got past Nebraska. They needed a two-point conversion to fail for Maryland to avoid a loss in overtime. They got blown out by Purdue, had close games against Penn State and, and others throughout the year. And then they had a new head coach last year, Ryan Day. They had lost their quarterback. They only had four starters back on offense. So I had questions about Ohio State last year. Questions answered. I mean, they just dominated everybody they played basically on a weekly basis. Probably should have beaten Clemson in the playoff last year had they uh, not settled for so many field goals early on. This year they only have 10 returning starters, but one of them is Justin Fields, which is a big plus, and they got three offensive linemen coming back to turn down the NFL and Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, and Thayer Munford. So offensively they're going to be potent. Defensively, uh, probably not quite where they were last year, Losing Chase Young and only having four starters back, but they're talented. They'll be very good there. But the one team that I think can stand toe-to-toe with them this year is Penn State. And going over the, the team with Coach Franklin, each of the seven years he's been there, you go back to year one, uh, you know, they were coming off probation. They had a, a 
very few scholarship players. They have walk-ons in the two deep. And now going over the year, the team with Coach Franklin, they're three deep everywhere. And I'm not just talking players. We're talking highly touted players on the third deep. So this three deep. So this is a very good Penn State team. Oway, Shelton, and Shaka Tony up front. Micah Parsons, a linebacker. Uh, solid players in the secondary with Castro Fields and Lamont Wade. And you look at them offensively, they go six deep at running back. Sean Clifford's a veteran QB now. The offensive line, uh, one of the best that Franklin's put on the field. Fryer moves to tight end. They are loaded. I think they can stand toe-to-toe with Ohio State. They're probably a little disappointed. They, they probably won't be playing in front of a full crowd because they would have had full whiteout conditions against Ohio State on October 24th, and that might have helped their chances a little bit. But they are a clear contender in the East. Looking behind uh, the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions, obviously you have Michigan and Indiana as the next two teams. Um, what would it take for Michigan to maybe contend for a higher spot than third? We know they've had their struggles. And what are the chances that Indiana could maybe leap the Wolverines and, and contend for third or maybe even second in the East? Yeah, I personally think Michigan's window for winning the East was last year. It was a perfect opportunity. You had Ohio State with the first-year head coach coming in off a poor defensive performance. Michigan had a lot going for it, including a home game against Ohio State, and they just didn't get it done. It was a disappointing season for Michigan, and you know now they lose their quarterback. Offensive line loses a bunch of guys to the NFL, and defensively they lose some key players as well with only six starters back. So I think Michigan's window of opportunity in the East was last year, not so much this year. And with Indiana, I really like the job Tom Allen's doing. 17 returning starters coming back this year. And this is not the Indiana defense of 10 years ago where they were rather small but speedy in the defensive front seven. These guys are big. They've got size across the board in the front seven, solid in the secondary. Tom Allen has built a a defense that is uh, really performing well, and I think they're going to have their best year defensively under Allen and offensively. Michael Penix, a QB, Stevie Scott, a running back, Wap Fillier, a wide receiver, and a, a veteran offensive line, Peyton Hendershot, a tight end. I think they've got a shot at Michigan this year, so it'll, it'll be a fun team to watch. Keep your eyes on Indiana. You know, they've come so close in their games against the big boys. Most of them come right down the wire, and they just don't get it done. This could be the year they break through and get some of those. Rounding out the, the Big Ten, you have Michigan State and Rutgers, and they're in a unique situation um, because they both have new head coaches and didn't really have any time with their teams in the spring due to COVID. What's the outlook for those two teams? Yeah, and I think you hit that right on the head. The, the first-year head coach this year are the guys that are going to struggle. And Michigan State, I think, might be in the toughest opportunity of the bunch because Mel Tucker didn't come in till late after D'Antonio had already signed the freshman class. Uh, and then it was a couple weeks later, and then they finally signed Mel Tucker, and he's got an inexperienced team. He only has 10 returning starters coming back. Uh, so he hasn't had a single practice with this team. Inexperienced, doesn't even know the freshman on the team. I think it's going to be a, a learning or a big-time learning curve for Mel Tucker and Michigan State, and they take a step back this year. And with Rutgers, you know, Coach Ciano has been there for a while, was able to bring in the recruiting classes, brought in some transfers. Uh, they've got talent at both running back and linebacker. Uh, so there's some potential with Rutgers, but I'll throw this stat out. Uh, last year, they lost their Big Ten games by an average of 39-6, to and they were minus 241 yards per game. So even if they're much improved, that just gets them in the ballpark of the other Big Ten teams, something they haven't been in. So I, I'm definitely looking for both teams to, to go through a rebuilding season. 
Phil, going back to a, a little bit of the national football uh, landscape here uh, and staying in the Big Ten, Fields is kind of your runaway Heisman candidate. Um, obviously, pretty early to look at a Heisman outlook. But, uh, I mean, is, is Justin Fields really the, the, the guy uh, to beat for that trophy? The two front runners are Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, the question I had with uh, Fields last year was, can this guy read defenses? How about 41 touchdowns, three interceptions? Okay, that's solved. I mean, we already know he had the size, the arm strength, the speed, the mobility. Uh, he had all that going for him. So he, he I think he's going to have more big games than Trevor Lawrence will. And with Trevor Lawrence, you know, here's a guy that – uh, he was a front runner for the Heisman last year. After this playoff performance he had the previous year, the guy's going to be the number one pick in the draft. And I think Trevor Lawrence just tried to do too much early on last year. Remember, he had eight interceptions in the first seven games, but problem solved. Last seven games, how about 22 touchdowns, zero interceptions. I think Trevor Lawrence goes back to being the guy who had those high expectations heading into last year. Clemson should be undefeated. Ohio State should be undefeated. And if that's the case, those two are your Heisman front runners. Taking a look at that, you mentioned briefly the playoffs and the outlook for Ohio State and Clemson. What do you think of the college football playoffs? I know there's some uncertainty in the air um, with, with everything going on right now, but um, how do you view the, the playoffs as of right now? Yeah, I went way out on a limb here, guys. I went with uh, four, the four teams I had for the playoff are Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama. So really, really put myself out there this year. Uh, well, Phil, I think you're kind of like most of us in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if you are looking for if if you are looking for a surprise team, I'm going to throw one at you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My number one surprise team this year is Texas A&M, and let me tell you why. Last year, when I'm talking to Coach Jimbo Fisher, uh, going over the team with him, uh, two things struck, stood out to me. Number one, uh, they had very few seniors on last year's squad. And the uh, so they were a young team. And the second thing was a, a hellacious schedule. And as it was, they took on Clemson when they were number one ranked in the country, Alabama when they were number one ranked in the country, and LSU when they were number one ranked. Three number one teams in the same year, number four ranked Georgia, number eight ranked Auburn. So a bl brutal schedule and a very, with a young team. Naturally, they lost those five games. And I told Coach Fisher last year uh, at, at the end, I said, Coach, I'm going to put you on the cover of my national magazine next year well next year's here they got 17 returning starters led by kellen mond uh and the schedule gets a lot easier i rank at number 66 they may only play one top 10 team this year so much easier schedule much more veteran team you're going to see a different a&m on the field jimbo fisher's got three great recruiting classes uh, brought in in his three years there and uh if you're looking for that surprise team not one of the big boys that could actually sneak in there my number one surprise team is texas a&m Phil, this is my last question. doesn't have to be anything long or elaborate, but as a, a resident Sun Devils fan, uh, what are your expectations for, for Herm Edwards and, and Arizona State? He's got himself a pretty good quarterback and Daniels out there, and I, I, I love the job he's done his first two years. I think Arizona State's one of the three teams that are going to contend in the South. To me, the South is a three-horse race. Uh, because I think Colorado, Arizona, and UCLA are just not to the level of Arizona State, uh, Utah, and USC. But I did pick USC to win the South. I think they might be the most talented team in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, but Arizona State, with Herm Edwards, always a contender. Well, Phil, it's been a pleasure having you on and having your insight uh, with college football and your magazine coming out. Uh, we couldn't think of anyone better to preview the college football season than yourself. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, one thing I want to throw out to your listeners is, as mentioned, we in the years past had printed about 200,000 of these magazines, and they've been everywhere. But this year, limited to Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So don't go out and about and look at any other place. But Barnes & Noble, Books A Million do have them this year, as does philsteel.com. And got to tell you guys, a lot of fun talking football with you today. Well, thank you again, and you take care. All right. Thank you, guys. You can follow Phil Steele on Twitter at PhilSteele042. And, and like he said, go and get this magazine. It's the college football Bible for a reason. Uh, you can get it at PhilSteele.com. You can get it ordered and shipped to your house, or you can even get it digitally. If you're like me, though, you kind of like it in your hands. So uh, you can go to Books A Million or Barnes & Nobles like I did uh, just a few days ago to get it. Um, Colton, I don't know. I'm always a guy that likes to have the physical copy, though. Right? Like, I need mm-hmm. to flip through the pages. I mean, it's 350 pages for a reason. I like to flip through it all. Yeah, well, here's a couple of things. One, you know, as as someone that tried to not buy textbooks in college <laughs> as much as possible, um, I would. I was you probably also try to go to class. Well, you know, whenever <laughs> I didn't have to, I guess. Right. Um, what was my was my excuse if people want to skip a day just don't go yeah i mean i that that still rings true um no my my thing is like you know in college you want you kind of want everything on your laptop if you're taking notes on your laptop you yeah. your book can be right there you can highlight things you can literally copy and paste things into your notes if it's important um some teachers aren't like that where they don't even use the textbook so i was always a person i was like if i don't need it i won't buy it and usually the digital version was cheaper. Now, in this case, with the limited prints of it to begin with, um, I mean, I think you're probably going to see a lot more people buying the digital version. Um, but, you know, you and I were talking about it, and I've seen some people online. Like, this thing is, this volume in particular, you know, he said t- usually 200,000 get printed. It's about a quarter of that. Like, this one in particular will probably be a collector's edition on top of the fact that it's 2020, and this year's just been a nightmare. So, I mean, well, you know, you if you that. run into Phil Steele, have him sign it. It'll probably be worth <laughs> money years later. Even when I went to Barnes & Noble, and this was the first day they had it, uh, there was, all, like, as soon as I got in, there was another guy right behind me. We're going to the same spot. We both grabbed one, and so... They were, they were going quick, and I asked him, he's like, yeah, I get it every single year. So uh, I feel like, you know, not as many people are going to get the actual physical copy, but um, if you're interested, go get it as soon as you can. And I think it's worth it, too. And, you know, having Phil on, having his insight was, was great. Um, talking about Nebraska being a little gun-shy, but he did, you know, voice some reason for optimism that kind of mm-hmm. got me excited for the football season yeah uh two things one it's uh our copy of the magazine so <laughs> yeah. um you know i haven't put any financial effort into it yet but you know it's ours you know it's the, it's the show's copy right um so if anyone wants a signed show copy we'll like 10 years company. down the road yeah, yeah right exactly uh you just got to get one first uh the other thing is yeah with with Nebraska and you know I, I threw in a little Arizona State just because I'm always curious what other other people outside of my fantasy world think um you know I I'm <laughs> I'm still like uh, maybe I'm not as optimistic as as the next guy um only because you know you kind of see everything that's going on um in professional sports that they try to come back some are fine some aren't uh, we'll get into that a little bit but I mean if this season rolls on if they maybe you know, schools like Oklahoma State or, or Oklahoma, excuse me, are playing Missouri State and they're trying to play a game in a month. Um, you know, 
that worries me a little bit. But if they take the proper precautions, um, you know, I, I'm excited. I, I want there to be college football. I want there to be college football in some capacity. If that means it's only conference, if that means it's a shortened season, if that means, you know, they only get seven or eight games in, they maybe play a, a championship game after quarantine, and then maybe they have bowl games, I don't know. But in any case, if they can get a season played, I, I'm ready. I mean, and I think almost everybody is. I, ju- I just don't I don't think that there's a, a lack of want for football. Um, you know, the debate every year is, uh, hey, let's have a spring football um, league because people want more football. Well, people want more football, but they want more football if it if it's what they're used to. And I think that's the thing right now is that we are used to college football happening in the fall. And if it's not there, it's just going to be weird. It's kind of like in March, there was no college basketball, there was no tournament, and it was just weird. And so, um, you know, it's all about safety, but at the end of the day, like, I- I'm excited. If they can get something played, if they can do something, um, I'm ready for it. Yeah, and, you know, him breaking down the Big Ten like he did for us, uh, intriguing race at the top, you know, last year, like like we mentioned, it was Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. This year, he's, you know, pretty high on, on Northwestern, and at first, I was a little surprised by it once I, you know, looked into his rankings, but the more he talked and, and the more I read about him, it seems very plausible that Northwestern could be that dark horse team in the Big Ten East or West, excuse me. Uh, I don't, I don't know. There's four teams that can really challenge for it. I think. What, do you, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you got to remember that when they won the Big Ten West and played in that title game, they were seconds. I mean, minutes. You know, away from being nine and zero in conference play. Sure, they were zero and three. I think they lost to Wake Forest, some nobody, and like Eastern Michigan. Um, or a directional school, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, it was kind of bleak for Northwestern. But at the same time, you know, they went out and they just bulldozed the Big Ten uh, in nine games. They went 8-1. and one. They, they get a Big Ten West bid. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of hard to string together that many wins unless you're, you know, Ohio State, Penn State. But it – you got to remember that was just like Phil said, that was just two years ago. Like this isn't a much different Northwestern team year in and year out. And you know what? That team had a great defense last year, even too. And they're returning just about everyone. Mm-hmm. 19 yeah. returning starters. I think you yeah. said, yeah. yeah. So it, it reminds me very similarly to our opinion of Iowa most years. And obviously Iowa of late has been better. So don't get me wrong, but Northwestern's kind of one of those schools. that's like, they're either beating everybody or they're beating nobody, and it's and when they lose a lot of games, they're still close. I mean, and they, you know, when they went eight and one, that game against Michigan, you know, they really had no business losing that game, um, and it it just came down to the wire, and, and they couldn't do it. But I mean, it's it they're a team that almost every game you can flip a coin and and put money on one or the other, and you'll be right probably fifty percent of the time. I mean, it's it's crazy how how up and down they can be, but how good they can be at the same time. So yeah, I'm opt- I'm optimistic for Northwestern if, if I'm a Wildcats fan. Right. Um, but as someone that – as two people that follow Nebraska, you hope they aren't as good as <laughs> as Phil says they'll be. They are so. his number two most improved team for this season, predicted most improved. So, uh, And that's something he usually nails is those most improved teams. Mm-hmm. So – 
I would not. I'm not going to be shocked if they do kind of come through and really battle in the West. But it was also kind of it was good to hear about Purdue and Illinois because um, sometimes you know you, you get these doormats in the leagues and it's it's easy to think you know you're, everyone's just going to walk over them. But it seems like there's a lot of optimism com- coming out of those camps too, just being more experienced and. You know, Lovey Smith specifically, once he's gotten a, a full recruiting class through, he's been able to surprise some teams, and and so there's actually some optimism for those two teams this year too. Yeah, when we were talking about most improved, like like we said, it, this he, Phil still writes the college football bible essentially, and it's it's pretty spot on usually. Um, in the last 17 years, you know, 311 teams that didn't have a winning season that he put on his most improved and 198 of those 311 were, were bowl eligible. So, I mean, if that, if, and they've basically doubled their, their record. So if that means anything for Northwestern, um, at least six and six for him, uh, <laughs> you know, and looking at Purdue and Illinois, Purdue's a, one of those weird schools too, where um, you don't really hear anything about them. And I think it's just based on the history of, of Purdue football, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, not I wouldn't say a doormat necessarily, but they they're very hit and miss, um, and I think that's the story with a lot of Big Ten West teams. The the East is a little more solidified. You sometimes have an up and comer in Michigan State, Maryland, someone along those lines, Indiana this year probably, but it feels like in the West everybody's kind of like uh, we'll either be good or not. Like it's um, you know I didn't really think about how how much injuries hurt. Uh, uh, Purdue last year and then when you're looking at Illinois obviously you and I talk about Illinois a lot um, I bought an Illinois jacket because it was $15 um, and I, I cannot wait to wear that this fall uh, when they play Rutgers or hopefully they play Rutgers I don't remember what their schedule is but um, you know Illinois is a team that when they hired Lovey Smith I think everyone's expectations for them went up um, you know and I asked Phil kind of what their ceiling is with them making a bowl game I'm still honestly not sure. Like, I don't know if their ceiling is seven wins, um, you know, in a full 12 game schedule. Is it contending for the top of the West? Is it finishing third place? Is it kind of like Michigan in the East, where like third is where they're destined to be? It feels like. Um, I don't know, but I, I, I will. You and I will probably continue to be optimistic about Illinois until until they go winless or something well, along those lines. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, I mean, they upset was Wisconsin last year, and they were, they were sneaky good, surprising teams, and now it's the most experienced team Lovey Smith's had. So I really enjoyed what he was talking about the West because it just it's going to be a dogfight and, you know, conference-only play. Uh, every game matters more so than it did before, so it's going to be high action every week. Well, here's, here's a question I have for you or maybe a scenario. You know, people always talk about conference realignment, um, including us, but this is more of a realignment within the conference. You know, they've talked about trying to restructure um, – you know, the Big Ten West and the Big Ten East. And remember with the Legends and Leaders, it felt like Nebraska was maybe in a little bit better of a situation where now it feels like they play Ohio State every year. Um, But, you know, there's in my mind there's a scenario where they maybe switch it up so that that more the the wealth, the power is, is distributed evenly. But at the same time, it makes for good Big Ten West games because you, you get to play those teams every year. And on the other side, I'm not saying the East isn't competitive, but when you look at the bottom three of the East every year, I mean, at any given point, it's Ohio State putting up 60 on them. So, and they well, can I think do, Ohio State it, would put up 60 <laughs> if they were in the West, too. So I, I don't think that changes, and I agree with that. But I'm just saying that like it feels like the power, 
the yeah. the, the powers in the East, but like the competitive natures in the West. It almost feels like. Yeah, I think I think as of late, you're probably correct. But I think you know college football um, goes through ebbs and flows, you know, and it mm-hmm. changes, you know, every uh, eight to ten years. You know, you're gonna it's gonna be a different landscape than what it was this year. So um, as of right now, I think you're right, but I think. You know, five long term, five ten years from now, it's it's going to look different than it does. I mean, you saw you know in the last ten years, Michigan State arise and now you know fall back, and um, Michigan you know has kind of dropped off, and now you know we think their window's closing. So I, I think it changes just gradually over the years. Yeah, well, and at some point, you said five to ten years. I think in five to ten years, Rutgers is going to get replaced by somebody. So, um, or we might have super conferences by that point. I don't know, but I, I just, yeah. And you're right; it, it's very up and down. Like Nebraska's, Nebraska under Riley and under uh, Pelini, they had a couple of big windows where it's like this is your easiest schedule for the next three years. If you don't capitalize now, you you might as well wait. Um, and that's kind of what Michigan went through. Like Phil said, last year they that was their window. And if they could have knocked off a young quarterback with a new coach, like, yeah, Ryan Day knew the system, but it's a different stage when, when you're the head man. Um, it, it, it's, I don't know, it's weird, but I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I want there to be some, some kind of football because just like even thinking about how every Big Ten West team is going to be five and five is just like getting me fired up. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. I, it will be kind of a bummer, you know, like he said, not getting that whiteout game for Penn State, or, mm-hmm. or you know, the, the atmosphere for the big game between Ohio State and Michigan. But... Maybe we show up to the Penn State game. We'll wear white shirts. <laughs> I'm hungry for it. I, just want to play. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's exciting still, at least to look at it, and, and when this, and when Phil Steele's preview comes out it at least gives you hope for the seasons so. mm-hmm. it makes it feel real yeah um looking at you know some other sports major league baseball it broke out this morning it really started last night now the news is coming this morning about um a possible breakout for for the marlins and mm-hmm. covid um obviously major league baseball is not uh, doing a bubble like nba is right and this was one of the concerns it comes just a few days into the start of the season and now um, some of the series are being paused. I think Yankees and Phillies um, series is, is being canceled as of right now, postponed, at least not played. And then obviously, you know, you know the Marlins and their schedules on, on hold as well. Yeah, uh, a little upset the Phillies couldn't beat the Marlins, but apparently COVID could beat the Marlins. Um, <laughs> that was a rough, rough series. I don't know how the Phillies go one and two in that, but hey, let's, you know, let's look at it from a safety standpoint here. Um, you know, they talked about, Hey, let's all play all our games in Arizona, or all the West team. You know, all the teams on the West Coast play in Arizona. All the teams on the East Coast play in Florida. Let's have a bubble. Let's do, um, you know, what what these other teams are doing. Yes, we've talked about it. Baseball is the most naturally socially distanced sport. It seems like it's the easiest to avoid a contact, but at the same time. You know, these guys are traveling to states that have spikes right now. These guys are traveling um, with other people. These guys have have been around each other and their family members, and like they haven't truly, they haven't truly been isolated. Um, I'm not saying they haven't taken some proper precaution, but obviously, when you know, 14 people in an organization are testing positive in the state that's probably having one of the biggest spikes, 
it's an issue. Um, you know, and you've got a couple other teams in Florida. So, you know, you look at the NHL, they basically said like, hey, we're only going to play in one, maybe two areas. You looked at the NBA, they said, you know, it's unfortunate we have to keep these guys here basically for three months, but it's the only way we're going to get basketball. And now you're shifting to, to baseball where this is happening. Uh, MLS hasn't had an issue. We've seen countries that have properly um, controlled COVID and, and quarantined where, you know, European soccer leagues are being able to finish and play and actually, like, have have their championships played. Um, and, and you're running into an issue where the one sport that you were probably the least worried about is now having the highest concern. Um, and, it, and it can't make you feel good um, with with football on the horizon after mm-hmm. they just said, like, oh, we're, we're ready, we're good, we've got the proper protocols, and and now it's, uh, you know, what does the NFL do, you know? Yeah. Jeff Passon uh, tweeted out that 11 of the 33 who traveled with the Marlins um, have tested positive. Um, just yesterday it was it was growing from – three to nine to now 11 and uh you know i think a big part of this and carl ravage you know mentioned this at 1.2 i think the phillies are going to play a big part in this because they just played the marlins and so now we'll kind of get their test results hopefully you know tonight uh, monday Mm -hmm. the 27th and that will you know be a huge eye-opener as to um how quick this is going to spread and the impacts of a breakout from one team and and how it affects the other but uh this this is definitely concerning for baseball and and you know david price came out um and already said you know he's he's opted out of the season already but Mm -hmm. he says now we're really get gonna get to see if uh, major league baseball is gonna put players health first um and and so he's kind of putting the pressure on manfred and as of today you know uh just recently within the last hour tim collins of the rockies has opted out now that there is a breakout so i wouldn't be surprised if if more players opt out Mm -hmm. uh this is just it's somewhat of a mess and it's it's gonna snowball I feel yeah you know and I make the joke about the Phillies like having a rough series against the Marlins but at the same time like I, I think I talked about this the last time uh with you you've got a guy like Didi Gregorius who's who's wearing a mask while playing which that's I don't want to say that's hard but um you know you're playing in the middle of summer so but this guy has a fairly serious like kidney disease and and like the last thing you need is a guy like that who's trying to take the proper precautions be stuck in a situation where other people aren't. Um, and, you know, you look at teams that might be traveling to the Phillies. Like, are you going to want to go into the away team clubhouse? Like, without it being A, deep clean, and B, probably isolated for three three days, maybe longer? Like, that's the thing is, like you said, are they going to put truly put players' health ahead of, of making money and playing games? I don't know. Yeah, um, and, and you know, I mean, we made fun of the NBA bubble just because some of the stuff happening there is well, the Disney hotels, and, <laughs> you know, yeah, staying in a Mickey Mouse race car bed or something. Players going you know. across the street to get Grubhub because their meals are bad. Going up to Magic City, you, uh, I mean, if you're Lou the, Williams. So, <laughs> at the end of the day, though, I mean, uh, the bubble is working, or so it seems. I mean, so far, I mean, it's a small sample size for all the sports right now, but the bubble seems to be effective, um, and. It, I wonder if MLB how they're going to handle this if they go to a, kind of a bubble, at, you know, avenue, or if mm-hmm. they, uh, I mean, there's people on Twitter and Twitter's not a great judge of <laughs> what should be done. True. Um, for voice of reason, but um, people are calling for the MLB season to be canceled, and so it's going to be a tough, tough.
tough road ahead for for Manfred. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Well, and what I find interesting too, and and like you said, small sample size, but you look at, you know, the bubble, of course, but you look at NBA teams. Naturally, there's there's smaller teams, right? There's less people involved, so there's, you know, less less ability to be in contact with too many people. It's easier kind of to follow that gathering guideline. I mean, but at the same time, if one guy gets it, probably everybody's going to get it, right? Um, MLS kind of the same way where like, yeah, you've probably got a little, you've got a little bit bigger teams uh, and a little more guys are playing on uh, on the field than basketball. But again, similar situation there. It feels like there's less contact with extra people. They're, you know, they're in a bubble, um, you know, and, and bigger rosters for baseball plus travel, plus they're coming into contact with other teams of bigger rosters. I, you know, if you're looking at it as a college football fan, I know we were just saying like, I'm, I'm optimistic for something, but like at the end of the day, these guys are getting paid. These, this is a professional sport. This is their job. But at the same time, when you look at it from a perspective of people that aren't getting paid, I mean, their health has to come before the business. And, and that's, I think that's what's the biggest concern to me when it comes to college football. And I think that's what I've been the most critical of if, if they move forward and um, while outbreaks like this are happening. Yeah, and especially with all the travel that uh, these college teams plan on doing. I know they eliminated non-conference games, but um, there's still not going to be, you know, any sort of bubble. And there's no bubble really plausible to, you know, to have exist in college football. But mm-hmm. um, it definitely makes it tougher for them moving forward. Yeah, and I like I think I brought it up to you, and you can disagree with it or agree with it either way. Um, I think the best solution for college football is if if you're following protocols per conference, um, you know, maybe you travel on, and I've said this for the NFL too, you travel to the place you're playing on, what would that be, Wednesday? You get tested on, or Tuesday maybe? Um, you know, you get tested as long as you're negative, you can play. If you test positive or have symptoms, whatever, you know, plan accordingly. Obviously, travel rosters are smaller anyways, um, so I mean, at least doing that, that's something, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if these guys are also taking class, at the end of the day, these guys are still taking classes, they're still students, you know, you can't drag them all over hell's green earth, you know, you can't just, you can't just say like, hey, um, we're going to play Saturday, you have a day off, we're going to practice Monday, we're going to leave Tuesday, you're going to rest Wednesday and we're going to practice Thursday, Friday, walk through Saturday morning. Like that's just, that's, I mean, that's a hectic schedule for anybody, let alone a college student. Right. So they either need to do something like that or they need to play every other week where they literally take a whole week off and just make sure that everybody's fine. I I don't know what the answer is, but it's, it's easier when it's your job. It's a lot harder when it's on top of something else you're already doing. Yeah, and, you know, taking a look at the MLB aspect of it, I mean, what a tease this was, man. I mean, it just opened up. <laughs> I was ready for it. After opening day, I was sending out tweets about how Kyle Hendricks is the best pitcher of all time. And and, and now it might just come to a halt and, and be over. I mean, I wasn't – I wanted more than just 60 games. Uh, I was okay with just 60 because it's baseball. And and now it, it's 
fall it's like sand falling through my fingers i mean <laughs> this is the biggest you know sports version of blue balls there is out there I, i'm i'm <laughs> this is a bummer <laughs> hey i don't have to pretend that the phillies are going to go 60 and out at least that's that's <laughs> at least if the season were to stop tomorrow i can say like hey at least i didn't have to have too much optimism all i'm saying is if it does end today give kyle hendricks uh, the NL Cy Young Award. That's all I care about at this point. I mean, come on. Yeah, I. It's like you said. It's a tease, man. I don't. I, and, and you know, you got other sports starting this week. So, you know, if if baseball for some reason has to step back and reevaluate and adjust their schedule, then I mean, at least they're doing it during a week when the NBA and NHL are coming back. So, that's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah. But it sucks. <laughs> it's tough, but that should do it for, for this week's episode. I'd like to thank again our guest, Phil Steele. Go get his college football Bible. If, if you're interested in college football, this thing is going to uh, help you a lot and, and just get that urge to see some football even more. So thanks to him. Of course, thanks to my co-host, Colton Stone. I'm Stephen Hoff. Until next time.